It's the Blue Vote Cafe, a little bit wonkish, a whole lot of fun. I'm David Schellenberg along with Rachel Oyster. We're the co-chairs in Canada's capital region in Ottawa. Hello, Rachel. Hello, David. How it's are a beautiful you? day. I'm yeah. fine. I've been um, working on my taxes. <laughs> oh, which taxes? Ah, I do them all at once. Yeah. <laughs> both, both countries. <laughs> and this is the season when I am stuck to the computer doing that and looking outdoors at the beautiful weather. Yep. And uh, wishing I could be out there, but I'm okay otherwise. How are you? Good. Uh, I'm tired. I was, for the first time in a while, at a rock concert last night. Woohoo! How was that? Uh, it was fun. Billy Talent, a big Canadian band who uh, oh. you know goes around the world, Rise Against, was performing in a, in a oh. band out of Montreal called No Bro. And it was uh, <laughs> quite a surreal experience to be back in a room with thousands of, of people jumping up and down. Enjoying cool. music. It, it, Amazing. Yes, it was really quite nice. And hopefully everybody went home safely. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> other than a couple of too many drinks. Days. <laughs> yes. Other than a couple of too many drinks and all the other stuff that happens at rock oh, concerts. Boy. But, you know, that's the way it goes. Uh, yeah. Who's with us today, Rachel? Today we are talking to Jen Racco-Stepper, who is the regional vice chair for EMEA, our last elusive um, XCOM member that we've been trying to connect with. Elusive. <laughs> elusive. Welcome, Jen. Hi. Thank you for having me. Oh, we're so pleased to be able to talk to you. Um, yeah, it's been, you've been in office 10 months, I guess. It's the elections were in May. We're now 10 very fast months. Yes. Oh. <laughs> packed. 10 packed months. Ten packed months. And what were you oh, well. expecting? Uh, packed, not quite so packed, but packed. Yeah. <laughs> well, I can't wait to hear about that. But first, we want to ask you our standard question, which is what state do you vote in? It's actually a two parter. Where in the world are you and what brought or keeps you there? Yeah, so um, I vote in California, just on the other, just north of the Golden Gate Bridge. Mm-hmm. I'm actually a fifth generation Californian. Wow. Um, yeah, and Irish immigrants that came over building the railroad. Um, and I now I'm living in Vienna, Austria. Uh, I my husband and I were both architects, and um, right after the wall came down in the late '80s, early '90s, we um, were working for a company that was based in Vienna and we won a bunch of competitions in Dresden, Germany in different parts of old Eastern Germany. Oh my. And so the idea was that we were supposed to be um, moving to Dresden. And at the time we had a one-year-old daughter and I didn't speak a word of German, Mm -hmm. but we had been to Dresden quite a bit. And I was like, eh, maybe we don't want to be moving to Dresden right now. So uh, I was like, can we just, can we not be the satellite for again? Can we, uh, can we now be where the company is actually based? So that, that landed us in Vienna, and we've been here ever since. Oh, wow. What a great yeah. story. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So well, you're, you're how many kids do you have now? Uh, two kids, two children. Um, our daughter was born in Los Angeles, right. and our son was actually born in Austria. Wow. So, yeah. So they're dual citizens. My husband's German. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. So. We're always... We're always, as we say in German, as in, in German, we're Ausländer, right? We're foreigners because we're right. foreigners. They're not even, even our son that was born in Austria is not Austrian. He's He still has German American citizenship. Oh, so he didn't uh, get Austrian citizenship by no, birth? No, you don't get Austrian citizenship by birth. Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, I so. got Swiss citizenship by birth. <laughs> Uh, not from being born there, but from having a Swiss parent. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, they're doing it now actually a lot, which is great. A lot of the, um, 
people who had to flee the, you know, Austria because of, you know, during the Holocaust, right. they are now getting citizenship again. Oh, wow. So they're, yeah, which is really good. So a lot of people I know now that um, have moved back or been living in Austria for a long time, they are now able to get citizenship, which is fantastic because that was something that they were really uh, a, sort of against for a long time. Wow. So, yeah. But there's a big movement here now also with just, you know, with the EU and different people. People move around so much that those people should actually be able to become right. a citizen or have voting rights. Well, and it's interesting, like in, in Newfoundland, uh, one of the provinces of Canada, I, you, you can live there for 20 years, but you're still considered to be from away. If, <laughs> if you weren't actually born in the community and that's just... That's just the terms mm. that they use, yeah. And Even it's if, not unique to Newfoundland. No, no. no. Little corners of the world that feel that way, for sure. Uh, and I guess yeah. we should ask you, just while we're chatting, um, with all the the uh, conflict in Ukraine, are you seeing any impact from in uh, your yeah, part of the definitely. world? What yes, are you seeing? Definitely. Uh, well, Vienna is actually... So I'm in Vienna. Um, yeah. And so the... The western border of Ukraine is only five hours away by car. Ah, right. Wow. So we have a lot of a lot of refugees coming here, a lot of people helping, a lot of people bring you know taking them in. Um, I've got friends who are driving there or taking buses and helping bring people back. Um, as yeah, so there's a yeah. big impact. Um, wow. And you know they're tr just trying to get people settled, help them. Um, find places to stay in this kind of thing. Yeah. And help yeah. them move on a lot. Yeah. Well, just eat five hours. Yeah. That's, that's a bus trip. That's just mm -hmm. fill a bus with a big tank of gas and, and you can drive there and pick up a whole lot of people mm -hmm. and bring them right back yeah. in the same day. Yeah. And we had members that were then, um, you know, driving there with supplies, adopting families, bringing them back. I mean, there are a lot of heartwarming stories. There are also a lot of very, uh, difficult stories, of course, in situations like this. There's been but some human trafficking going on. So I was actually in Munich last weekend, and in the Munich train station, it, there were just you know in Ukrainian big LED screens with warnings saying you know be careful, don't leave with anybody, make sure that you're um, that you get processed, and you know only go with official people and stuff like that because there have been some bad things happening. Really? So, oh, that's Yeah, weird. yeah, that's really sad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, uh, oh, dear. Yeah. You know, everybody, everybody's trying to do their best. Yes, yes. And, and there, if, are, there are always in, in unscrupulous people that, that take advantage of, of mm -hmm. any situation they can find. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, of course, as part of EMEA, uh, we have members in, in both of the, in both Ukraine and Russia. So. Right, right. So that has immediate implications. Mm -hmm. Yes, which gets us to the topic of the, the podcast, EMEA. So can, can you define EMEA for us? <laughs> right. So EMEA is Europe, Middle East, and Africa. It's one of the three regions of Democrats abroad. Um, it is the biggest region as far as the number of countries it has. Um, and it's has really the it's where Democrats abroad began, right? right? In London and in France. So it's sort of the heart of Democrats abroad. It has the oldest country committees, therefore, um, and and has a you know it has a lot of uh, it's an interesting region. A, a lot of times people forget that there's actually a Middle East and Africa part of that region as well. Right. So this is something that um, that is something that I'm really trying to change the focus on and change the perspective a little bit about 
Oh, so wow. it's been very Eurocentric um, over the past, you know, times. And uh, it's been my pleasure, actually, that when I ran for this position, um, there was a new sort of group of people getting together in Africa. And they did some, um, some interviews and uh, sort of a forum for the candidates and really just to make us aware, make us the candidates aware that they were there right? and that they have issues that need to be discussed and, and taken um, into account. And so this has really been an exciting uh, aspect of the job so far from the last pack 10 months was mm-hmm. one of those was really getting this Africa committee, you know, that they've really been organizing and getting them officially recognized. Um, they're not a country committee, but they're like a working committee essentially. Right. Um, right. Right. But it's, and they're doing a fantastic job. And I think they've got now seven different Africa committee countries that are involved and on their executive wow. committee and, and they're doing a lot of great work. So this is, this is a great thing. That's wonderful. So what, what is the, what gaps do they have to close to become a recognized committee? Well, uh, there, there are a recognized committee now. It's just that because essentially they are a committee to get out the vote and bring up issues for Americans living on the African continent. Uh-huh. So they're not, um, you know, a country committee is normally restrained by its geographical boundaries. There's also uh, tra- the new transnational committees. And this is, right. so this is something different. This is a committee that is really about working across the continent of mm. Africa mm-hmm. and getting and reaching out to Americans um, living across that continent. So, you know, it's a, it's a whole different um sort of uh, demographic from what we have in Europe, for example, uh, which makes it very interesting. Mm, Different in what way? um, Because there's, you know, in Europe, because there's the normal sort of Americans that move over for relationships, love, family, this kind of thing. Oh yes. Love is is a big reason. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there's, there are the dual citizens like my children, right? right? It's the other type of thing, you know, the other way. Yes. But then, um, and then there are a lot of Americans that have moved back to Africa um, in order to really sort of be part of Africa. Like Ghana, for example, they offer dual citizenship to Americans. Mm. So, oh. there's, so there's, so there's like so there's a lot of Americans now living in Ghana that you know took advantage of that, and maybe they travel back and forth, or maybe now they've just settled with their businesses, really, you know, bringing talent back into Africa and building up those countries. So this is is uh, U.S. history. Like uh, people from Europe came to the United States willingly. People from Africa did not. And and mm-hmm. and now all this time later, as, as I could see, as, as people want to go back to Africa and find their roots, they don't have that official family document that says... Um, hi, I, my, my ancestors came from this part of the world, let me in. And, and there needs to be some sort of a, of a way to fix that. Hmm, yeah, that I don't know, actually, okay. because there are, because I know, for example, that the people who uh, live, in, I think, like the people who are in Ghana and have dual citizenship now and took advantage of this, I don't know if that was an open proposition or if that was just a proposition that Ghana offered to people that could say that they came from there originally. Right. I'm not, I'm not clear on mm. that. 
Um, but there is, you know, also an entire diaspora of people that, you know, are maybe people studied in the States and then came back, um, mm. you know, uh, to work in the country and stuff like that. So it's a huge untapped resource. Absolutely. That hopefully we'll be getting out. Um, Wonderful. And working. Yeah. Yes. And, and right now, of course, Africa only has um, two fairly new country committees. They used to have some more, but. Right now, Kenya just became a country committee last July, oh, so wow. a year ago, July, Wonderful. and uh, South Africa came back into compliance then. So they're now, again, a country committee, and that happened a couple of years ago. So, you know, we're really looking to build new country committees there, and, and it will be one of these places where there will be more transnational committees happening. Oh, Amazing. Yeah. So, and of course, the Middle East is the other part of this yes. part of this region that doesn't get talked about a lot. Yeah. And it's the same. So we're really working um, uh, to get these to get these regions and these areas of the region then more active and more involved, feeling like they're more have more of an impact and more of a voice. Right. Wonderful. I could see how that's sort of a, a growth opportunity and that there truly is a lot of people there that that we need to reach out and and oh. and as, as they develop as well and as communications tools get better, you know, the, there's so much opportunity. Yeah, there's a ton of opportunity there and just a lot of untapped potential. Mm -hmm. And of course it's a it's a kind of a, you know, um they're different, you know, for, so it's a region that has a lot of different um uh sort of ways or diversity, but also like ways of being able to operate. So, you know, what works in Europe does not work in Africa. What right. works in, you know, Africa does not, does not necessarily work in the Middle East. Yes. Um, so this is... That's fascinating. Um, yeah. Challenges. Yeah. So what led you to be interested in being the regional vice chair? How did you get where you are? <laughs> um, <laughs> so... So as I said, I've lived in Austria now for really since 93, so mm -hmm. quite some time. And DA Austria was formed in 2003. And I think I became a member shortly thereafter. But, you know, I was a, I was just a member. I wasn't, I'd signed my name, right. to vote, you know, and signed up. <laughs> That's what happened actually, to all of us. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but, I, you know, but I wasn't, I wasn't actually, you know, I was pretty involved with my own life and working and raising kids and all these mm -hmm. kinds of things. And, <laughs> and there just wasn't enough bandwidth to also be doing something else. But um, when, when my son finished high school, then there was some bandwidth for me to be able to be sort of getting more involved. And it was 2016, it was, I guess it was a little bit earlier, but it was 2016 um, presidential election. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like, no, if, you know, I've got to do something because otherwise. <laughs> yep, yep. Same, you know, same. That's what got me. Yeah, 2016. <laughs> got a problem. And yeah. so I sort of, you know, as, as we all do, I sort of made an inquiry and said, hey, do you guys need any help? <laughs> and before I turned around, I was organizing a big fundraiser <laughs> with 300 people and uh, wow. for Global. We raised some money in Global. It was a big concert. So that was a lot of fun. Oh, nice. And, um, and so, yeah, we called it Rock the Vote, Rock and the Vote for Hillary, or Rock and the Vote for, I don't know what yep. it's called. But, um, <laughs> and, um, and so that got me firmly in, grounded, and then, you know, in 
doing something and as a volunteer that was actually active. And then um, when the next election cycle came around, the, the current, the, that chair then asked me, do I want to run for chair? Ah. So, you know, as it always happens, I ran uh-huh. for chair. I was chair of DA Austria for four years. Wow. And then um, I had gone to a regional meeting in, I think my first regional meeting was in Madrid. I think Madrid was the first one that I went to. And um, I just loved it. You know, I, I loved, like, I didn't, I didn't realize at the time that DA was so much more than yeah. just these little country committees. I mean, yep. Austria is a very small country, not right. like Canada. You know, we are a small country committee and you <laughs> feel like, you know, we only had a thousand members at the time. We've doubled our numbers since, but, Nicely you know, done. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Um, but, you know, it felt very, you know, small, right? <laughs> like, and, and I had no idea really all the different things that Democrats Broad did. So that yeah. was, I think I discovered that at the first regional meeting that I went to and thought, hey, that's kind of cool. Actually, I, I like organizing. This is fun. Mm-hmm. So yeah, <laughs> that's what made me decide to run. Wonderful. How many languages do you have to work with? Good well, I mean, everyone's American, right? Yeah. So they all speak English. Because I was Um, just thinking uh, one of the challenges, you know, comparing to the different parts of the world. um, Yeah, yeah, true. It's it's all English. But I can see how with the regions that you have to work with, there's there's a wide variety. Well, there is. Yeah. And this is more. I mean, I don't think we have the same issue, for example, that the Americas has with South America of things really being in Spanish Mm -hmm. because there's so many different, you know, so we have 25 countries in country committees in uh, the EMEA region from Ireland to Russia and then north from Norway to South Africa. Wow. So there's sort of no way, there's no one or two predominant languages that then you would say that it's really makes a lot of sense to be working in that language mm-hmm. right or to be doing things in that language it's just too varied in this way but it is funny david's question make just reminds me yet again of, of how often you get kind of that cross-eyed feeling with democrats abroad because it is a global <laughs> organization right we we touch many countries if not most well we touch most of the countries around the world yep. but we do we do conduct business in English. And in fact, it was something I noticed, I may have mentioned before, at the only global meeting we've gotten to attend in person, that each delegation seemed to have the character that you would expect from a group of people from that country. And oh, yet, as actually... every person I know, as every person got up and spoke, they spoke in English yeah. in America, with American accents. And it was, yeah, I remember going, wait, it's not, it is a global meeting, but it's a group of Americans. But just based on the clothes and, and yeah, the style and that the they culture. were. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, hadn't I think that. we all pick up a bit of our country where, especially if you've been in the country for quite a while, Absolutely. you definitely pick up the characteristics. Of that Absolutely. Country. And as you were saying with, with dual citizens who may actually have heritage from that country, moving back to that country, it's already inherent yeah. in their, in their makeup. It's really interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Our, our, um, in 2020, our uh, phone bank coordinator, he was actually an accidental American. So his parents were doing their PhD in the mm-hmm. States. Mm-hmm. He was born and then they moved back to Germany. And so, 
he has this, you know, he's German, yes. and but he's American. So yes. he was he was also like, I've got to do something. And his partner is American. So, you know, he was like, we've got to get involved. But he always felt so funny because he has this German accent. And he was like, you know, if you don't know me, then you wonder why somebody's calling with this German accent. <laughs> <laughs> But, yeah. No, that's yeah. my story as well. My my parents were in the United States for a couple of years, and they are Canadian. But because I was born in U.S. soil, what dad? Well, dad was getting his Ph.D. I've I'm an accidental American and have no real memory of living in the United States. But you you have this responsibility and feel that you you need to do something. Yeah, absolutely. And those accidental Americans are so important, actually. And so many of them don't realize that they can actually vote. So Absolutely. And these are the they, ones that are hard to reach out to and find. Yeah. Yes. Even, and they, even, they're the ones who ignore their taxes and everything else as well, because, <laughs> you know, you, you just don't. Them. Well, we've discussed in other podcasts. It's yeah, it's ridiculously right. complicated and the system is certainly not set up to be friendly. No. Yeah. yeah, right. yeah not yeah. at all. Mm-hmm. Although it is unique, right, that you can um, that you can still vote. Uh, despite not living in the country for yeah, absolutely, many years. and even if you've never lived in the lived in the country, just because your mm. parent was born in the U.S., mm. you can vote. It's yep. it, yeah. it's yeah. It, yeah. it's it, counterintuitive. So I think that's why a lot of people don't realize they have right. that right. And and uh, unusual for most countries around the world. Like the the opposite is not true of Canada. Exactly. Right. I have a good friend actually who's Canadian that lives here, and she cannot vote here, and she cannot vote in Canada. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. that's frustrating. Yeah. So we have to take advantage of the voice that we have and yes. make sure we use it. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so tell us more about your fast 10 months. You've been focusing on on uh, making sure that the less heard voices are are more heeded in EMEA. What else have you been doing? Oh, boy. Um, so, I mean, the, the role of, uh, of regional vice chair, it's a really interesting role because you're you're really a liaison between, or I see it as being a liaison between the country committees and the global, the international XCOM, right? So a lot of what I've been working on is helping those country committees. We had a few country committees that have fallen out of compliance for one reason or another. Um, and that means that essentially they've, um, it's kind of an off, uh, kind of an odd term, but like, so their compliance is that the country committees have to uh, fulfill a number of requirements and things in order to have a vote in the glo- in the international organization. And so sometimes, you know, a country committee doesn't have their meeting on time or something like that. And that, mm-hmm. that's why that happens. So, you know, that, that takes a lot of work. Um, that was sort of taking up some time in the very beginning, of course, there's also just a lot of sort of bureaucratic work that happens on the international level um, and uh, and working with the Africa committee, for example, getting um, getting these um, this whole idea of the transnational committees, that that was a committee that we were working on before mm-hmm. the uh, global meeting, the last global meeting that happened. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, this is all good stuff. A lot of it's sort of the back end things that make things happen. Right. Um, the fun stuff, of course, is the front end stuff where you're really, you know, helping people. Would we go and to bars and, and drink and talk about politics? Yeah, no, but, you know, getting out the boat, sharing information, helping people, you know, spread ideas about and share ideas of what they can be doing to be getting out the vote, mm-hmm. this kind of thing. So. Meeting new people, mm-hmm. getting them excited. Yeah. Getting them excited. Yeah. 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 Are there any particular big challenges that you have with with organizing your part of the world? I think the 
biggest challenge is, I mean, th there's just, there's so many country committees actually in EMEA, there's 25. And so every country committee is very different. So there are, the, there are big country committees that really know what they're doing. They've been doing it for a long time. There are small country committees that you really need to make sure that they're being heard, that they're getting the support that they need. And then, um, and then there are these, there are a lot of, you know, non-country committees. So a lot of places where people want to start a country committee and, and really making sure they get the support that they need. And I think this is the, this has been the biggest challenge and has probably taken up most of my time is trying to help these, these places where there's not a country committee, but there's somebody there that wants to start a country committee, mm -hmm. you know, wants to get things going and sort of coaxing them and getting them moving mm -hmm. and getting them going to, you know, do it. It's a scary thing, right? It's like going from zero to, you know, starting something brand new. That's a scary mm -hmm. sort yep. of big step to take. And taking so, charge of it. That can be very scary. Yeah. yeah. And, and so I think it's just sort of a, um, helping people feel like there's a support system there to back them up, to help right. them to do what needs to be done. Right. And and that they feel like they've got the um, the support that they need in order to go ahead and have that first meetup. Right. Like there's there are people in Botswana and Rwanda and, and Senegal and Ghana. And, and we're talking and it's like, you know, you just go to the cafe for an hour and you have that. You will send out an email to people that live there and say, hey, I'll be at this cafe. Come come meet me. Mm -hmm. Let's talk. You know, mm -hmm. we're all, we're here. Mm -hmm. And so that's a. Uh, I think that first step is always the one of the challenges. Mm -hmm. So I assume most of this you've been doing virtually. Would you would you be doing more of it in person if if it weren't for COVID? Oh, that was one of the things that was I was so excited about with running for RVC. I thought, oh God, you can travel all over the place and get to meet all these people. Aww. It's so much fun. And of course that hasn't happened, but um, yeah, so hopefully that will happen um, soon. It's, it's too bad that we, the global meeting was canceled in Costa Rica. Everybody was really looking forward to oh, it. Oh yes, we were. <laughs> yeah, but uh, then, you know, but we'll be doing, we'll be doing some other things. We're just, uh, I'm helping, um, there are a couple of big fundraisers that we've got, that we're working on right now. One is for the Netherlands for their big pride parade in Amsterdam. Oh, cool. That will be a global fundraiser. So we were talking about that today, and that will be fun. August 6th in Amsterdam. Be there. Okay. Be Let's go. My niece is in Amsterdam. I'm going to make sure she goes. <laughs> we are going to have a boat on the canal. It is going to be a blast. Um, oh. It will be great advertising. Fabulous. Um, and then, yeah, so that will be some traveling. Oktoberfest will be some traveling in ah. <laughs> I like the way you choose your events. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, these were assigned to me. Oh, of course. <laughs> They're my region. We just know how to have fun in my region. <laughs> That's wonderful. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, so, you know, like this was actually one of my favorite things when I was chair was we did, you know, voter registration tables on one of the main shopping streets. And even during COVID, actually, because we were we were all distanced and everything and had lots of hand sanitizer um, and masks. But I think we had about 17 voter registration tables. And it was just amazing when people are walking by and they're like, oh, I totally forgot about voting. And who mm -hmm. are you people? And isn't it great you're here? Yeah. And mm -hmm. you know, this is where it's really satisfying, where you mm -hmm. feel like, wow, this is, I'm really doing some 
positive work here. Absolutely. That's certainly what I found too. Like the actually having a table and an American flag just kind of sitting at any event. It's amazing who stops to have conversations with you. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they're not the American, but they know somebody who is the American. And then you, so you sort of go the roundabout way of, well, you should tell your friend uh, about this thing that they're ignoring. Yeah, ex- absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Or they bring their kids. This is what I love then, right? They're bringing their like, freshly minted 18 year old that yes. can vote for the first time yes. Ah. yes this is great right the, the kids that are born in you know whatever country and yes. are able then to vote and it might not be on their radar until their parent or you know somebody tells them hey you're american aren't you right. <laughs> like, one of the best yeah. things about doing in-person polls for the uh, global presidential primary seeing that happen oh absolutely yeah, yeah. that was really great maybe we can do we it had again. a little in austria we had a little bell so every time a new vote like a, every time an 18 year old voted or a first time <gasps> voter voted we rang a bell so we I would always ask it. them we embarrass you but we rang a bell so oh was david we are adopting that <laughs> yes <laughs> for our chapter yes we rang a bell and then everybody in the in the place would cheer of course <laughs> oh that's wonderful we need noisemakers and kazoos <laughs> <laughs> give them a free hot dog yeah <laughs> no 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 free hot dogs <laughs> congratulations you voted for the first time here's a hot dog <laughs> oh well so you're allowed to do that but <laughs> no, who knows <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so are there other issues or you've mentioned two fundraisers are there other events that uh that you're working on that you want to um, not that I could, th- I mean, of course, you know, I, I hope that listeners, you, you know, you think about the pride events that happen in mm-hmm. June, you know, there's always the, on the website, there are always really interesting events that are happening. Um, I'm not working on it directly, but this time around the state teams are really roping in voters, um, and getting people engaged that live in, that are from voting in different states. And that's right. certainly new so, for DA. We're seeing the, this is new from DA yeah. and a really interesting thing. Um, so, you know, there are a lot of battleground states and Democrats abroad has a lot of voters from those battleground states, especially like Florida, Illinois, Pennsylvania, New Jersey. We have a lot of members there. Mm-hmm. So these are, um, really important then to get these people, knowing that they can vote and these state teams are sort of another way of approaching them that they might not necessarily democrats abroad might not be on their radar but then they see something about you know candidates running for the primary running in the primary and they see that there's a webinar happening on this and they think oh that's really interesting and i'll Mm -hmm. watch that and then they Mm -hmm. come into democrats abroad through that Mm -hmm. channel so that's You'll be talking to somebody, somebody back home from wherever you came from, and and you realize that uh, there's there's politics going on, and and you're connected to it still. Right, exactly. So this is, so this is a really good thing that's happening. Um, the other thing that's happening that we've been working on are, um, you know, of course we're calling all the battleground states right now, members that live in those battleground states. Um, and making sure that they know that there's an election, making sure they know they have to request their ballot every every year that they want to let, uh, vote in. So this is, um, you know, this is the work, like this is sort of the day-to-day work that actually we've getting all of our volunteers to be doing. Um, and any member can participate in it. You any member can participate in this. Yeah. I think that the, especially with the phone bankers, it's a very interesting 
um, type of person that likes to phone bank because <laughs> it's something, no, because it's, it's a really good thing because they're not necessarily the ones that are ne necessarily like on the executive committee or volunteering at mm -hmm. the voter registration table, but they are people then that say, okay, I can sit down for half an hour. I can make these calls. I can feel like I did something and I can do it on my own time and yep. at my own schedule and pace. And this is a fantastic thing and really an important, important aspect of the work that we do. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. We find that with, with phone bankers yeah. in our chapter as well. It's, it's yeah. the perfect, the perfect afternoon job for, for somebody mm -hmm. who doesn't get out very often. Yeah. And nothing yeah. is more effective in getting out the vote than right. that personal connection. That Absolutely. Way. Yeah. This is really, it's such an important job and I think it gets underestimated what a yeah. difference it makes, how yeah. much, you know, when you look at Georgia and, and what we did in Georgia and turning around those elections, Arizona, we mm -hmm. were the margin of victory. Mm -hmm. We brought home those votes. And that's why now we're getting a lot of attention from the DNC. Right. Um, Aha, you know, yeah. Just, yeah, there we have Hello, it. Hello, DNC. Are you listening to this podcast? <laughs> yeah, the, the DNC took notice that Democrats abroad was doing the work and pulling out those... Get bringing home the votes, right. right, and being the margin of victory, and bringing home the, you know, making sure those votes matter. And I mean, the numbers are fascinating. With when you look at um, the percentages of uh, how the overseas vote was has changed over the last few years, and I mm -hmm. think it's doubled in most of those battleground states. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so it's really interesting, um, really, really a powerful weapon that we have. Yeah. That, that we use by calling people and by making sure that all of our members are voting. Right. Well, thank you, Jen. This has been really interesting and we really appreciate your joining us today. Well, thank you, Rachel. Thank you, David. And you. congratulations on the, all the great work you're doing with these podcasts. They're fantastic. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, we, we just wanna, we wanna grow our listeners as a way of growing DA. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic work. We're all growing at the same time. Yeah, that's right. One day we'll be grown-ups. <laughs> <laughs> it could happen. <laughs> Maybe not in your case, David. <laughs> no, hope not. I'm Rachel Oyster with David Schellenberg in Ottawa, Canada. Thank you for listening to Democrats Abroad, the Blue Vote Cafe. Cafe.